From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Government Accountability Office will review the selection of the new location for Space Command. GAO will do the review in response to a request from Colorado Congressman Doug Lamborn. Defense News reports Lamborn's letter requested GAO look at how the Air Force scored the six locations it considered. The Internal Revenue Service will let a $2.5 billion contract to develop new IT systems and services all across the agency. The agency says it will expect the winner to work on cutting costs and improving efficiency. NextGov reports the contract includes two task areas, modernization and sustainment. Accenture will build a new digital GI Bill platform for the Department of Veterans Affairs. The Veterans Benefits Administration and the Office of Information and Technology at VA will work on the project together. VA says it will use $243 million from the CARES Act to support the project. Merging the Office of Personnel Management and the General Services Administration wouldn't fix problems at the agency, according to a panel Congress commissioned. The National Academy of Public Administration report lists 23 new recommendations for OPM. Linda Springer is former director of the Office of Personnel Management and former controller at OMB. Linda, thanks very much for coming on the program. You were outspoken when this merger was first proposed that you thought it was a bad idea. What's your takeaway from what Napa has reported to Congress on this? Francis, thanks for having me, first of all. And I think that NAPA did a real service uh, for this issue by mostly shifting the focus away from the question of whether we need a central independent personnel management agency to focusing more on what that agency should look like going forward, what it should do to fix itself. And I think that that really was a very important contribution. My takeaway from this report, Linda, confirmed by Peter Levine and Janet Hale on our Sunday program, two members of the team that put this report together, was they want to see OPM move from being a more tactical organization to a more strategic organization. What would you like to see, whether it's contained in these recommendations or something else just that you know from your experience, what would you like to see to make that happen? What does that require and what would be the steps in your view to make that happen? Well, I concur with uh, their recommendation in that area. And I guess I'd say it a little bit differently that uh, what I think they should be doing at OPM going forward is really being innovative. Uh, when I hear the word strategic, I think about having foresight, uh, being uh, uh, anticipatory as to what the needs of the federal workforce and the federal community will be and what those services need to be. I think they'll need to develop more of an original capability for uh, coming up with those solutions organically within the agency, but also do a better job of reaching out to the broader human capital community, both within government and outside, to be able to leverage, identify and leverage solutions that they could bring to government. Obviously, they'd have to be adapted for the government framework. But I really think in addition to doing all the bread and butter work, if you will, at a, at a higher level, the emphasis on that type of anticipatory, innovative solution development and implementation, 
I think that's a real uh, takeaway from this report that's critical. One of your comments there, Linda, jumps out at me because of comments that Chico's have made to me over the years, and not just in this administration, not just under uh, the previous administration, but just throughout all the time that I've been covering this space. You talk about reaching out to the broader human capital community, both in and out of government. One of the under uh, underdeveloped, I guess, uh, organizations is the Chief Human Capital Officers Council. Chico's tell me all the time they wish that it was a more robust organization. What do you think that would look like, and how do you think that could contribute to this vision that you've laid out and that Napa's laid out of OPM as a, a more strategic, more innovative organization? Agree 100% that there needs to be better engagement. I would imagine that what's happened in recent years where that has slipped to some degree is the turnover in leadership, the lack of leadership uh, at agencies, but also at OPM. I think there needs to be a reinforcement of that. You know, if you go back to the days when Senator Voinovich was the real proponent of getting that uh, established and others, uh, I think we need to get back to that. Uh, I, I had always thought it was important to be sure to include the deputy Chicos because they had a lot of the institutional knowledge and knowledge of their agencies in the workforce. So this certainly should be, uh, uh, the council should be revitalized, regular meetings, important meetings, uh, not just top down, but really collaborative between OPM and the, the council members. But again, to be sure there's a, a major uh, involvement of the deputy Chicos as well as the Chicos themselves. There are two issues that this report addressed that I think you have very close up firsthand experience with, and that is the funding model of OPM. Uh, Napa recommended that uh, Congress move it from a fee-for-service model to an appropriated model. And the other issue is IT modernization. And you saw firsthand the challenges that are involved in, in trying to move some of the legacy systems at OPM, mission delivery systems, uh, to, to more modern, more digital uh, solutions. What do you see in this Napa report that's actually doable given what you know about the challenges of implementing such big things inside an agency like OPM, Linda? Well, one of the things that uh, is available to OPM and other agencies is the uh, Technology Modernization Fund, which I believe is, is still being funded by Congress. Um, and I think that marries up the two issues that you mentioned there in the context of IT funding and then dealing with the IT uh, needs. It's clear that they are still there. They're very difficult challenges. Uh, but I do think that um, under a fresh approach to the operation of OPM, at the same time that the strategic part of it is being refreshed and developed further, that uh, both of those things can be handled. And uh, I do believe that appropriation is a better way to go than fee-for-service in this context, because I just think that we've learned a hard lesson that uh, the fee-for-service model uh, in this context can be problematic. And so to get uh, a stronger, more secure footing, uh, I, I think that uh, a greater uh, reliance on appropriated funds, and again, with that, the oversight that comes from it and guidance from Congress and others, I think is, is the right way to go right now. Linda Springer, thanks very much. It's great to have you back on the program. Thank you very much, Francis.
You can find a link to the Napa report on OPM at govmatters.tv slash resources. Up next, building up the science and tech workforce in government. Straight ahead on Government Matters, an expert tells you what she told Congress. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. Welcome back. The Government Accountability Office calls strategic human capital management one of the government's toughest management problems. It's on the GAO's high-risk list, and it's a common thread throughout many of the other challenges on the high-risk list, too. Candace Wright's acting director for science technology assessment and analytics at GAO. She testified to the House Science Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations about strengthening the science and technology workforce. Candace, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What was the main message that you wanted to convey to the committee in your testimony? Well, we thought it was important to emphasize that the federal workforce is really key to making government function better, to cost-effectively serve the public, and achieve results across the spectrum of policy issues. Science and technology is central to many agencies' missions, and so the hearing provided an opportunity to highlight some of the longstanding issues that we've seen in our work regarding human capital management, particularly for those agencies with science and technology missions. As you mentioned, GAO has identified strategic human capital management as a high-risk area for 20 years, and we have an extensive body of work in this area. And in fact, for the testimony, we drew on 20 reports over the past five years that have highlighted various science and technology workforce issues. What we've seen in our prior work and what we wanted to convey is that uh, agencies often struggle with uh, attracting and retaining a workforce that meets their needs, not just the needs of today, but more importantly, the needs for future missions. And so we really wanted to highlight three key areas, workforce planning, also taking a look at pay and hiring authorities, and then the last piece looking at the federal work environment, uh, which is important for people deciding to either seek federal employment or continue to be part of the federal workforce. I want to look at each of those three key areas that you testified about, Candace, and, and ask you to tell me more about what you have found, what's, what's common maybe in each of those areas among those 20-some pieces of work that you referenced. Strategic workforce planning is first, and this is something that's top of mind because of this NAPA report on OPM and the fact that uh, that, that group recommends that OPM should move from a more tactical to a more strategic approach. Where's the government really lacking in strategic human capital planning right now? Well, one of the really key things is workforce planning, really taking a look at understanding, you know, what is the agency's mission and defining what are the skills that are needed in order to execute on the agency's mission. And we really think workforce planning is a critical first step to ensuring that agencies are best positioned to execute their mission. We've certainly seen in a number of the uh, reports that we've done where th that uh, process for having workforce planning is really lacking. And so it makes it really difficult for the agencies to really have a strategy in place to determine, you know, what skills they're going to need, but more importantly, how they will go about uh, developing a strategy to uh, obtain those skills. One of the things that One jumped th out at me in this testimony is that a substantial number of agencies know what they need to do because you've made recommendations to them, haven't done it. 18 of 24 agencies hadn't, you write, excuse me, testified, fully implemented five of the eight key workforce activities that GAO identified, and they gave you reasons why. What were the reasons why these agencies aren't doing these things? 
Well, really, it was a mix of reasons um, that included uh, things like not having um, a lot of um, uh, leadership in this area, uh, given uh, leadership turnover at agencies. Agencies also cited issues around having other competing priorities, trying to work on other workforce assessments that was then delaying their ability to uh, uh, develop their workforce planning strategies. And some agencies, I think, were just, you know, uh, perhaps hamstrung by um, the, the, the sheer magnitude and challenge of this effort and are really looking for guidance from OPM or others to help them, uh, you know, figure out a, a path forward. The second key area that you testified about is improving federal pay and hiring. There have been a number of discussions about how to do that. What are the recommendations that you've given broadly over the years to do that, Candace? So in a couple of areas, we've looked at pay and hiring authorities. And one of the things that we've found is that agencies um, are not necessarily utilizing the full spectrum of authorities that are made available to them. And that can be for a number of different reasons. One, they might think it's too um, um, bureaucratic or burdensome, um, administratively burdensome to uh, utilize those authorities to seek the necessary approvals. But then also, too, I think it's just a function of not really fully taking a look at, you know, how they're hiring people and then seeing what authorities are working, which ones aren't. Um, we've certainly heard in a number of instances that, you know, there are, are a, a, a wide variety of hiring authorities. For example, one of our reports, you know, we examined 105 different uh, hiring authorities that were used by agencies. And we found that for the most part, agencies were really only using about 20 of the hiring authorities, perhaps just going back to the things that they've, you know, they've known work well that don't have those administrative burdens and are easier for them to, to utilize. And so we think that that really, you know, is an opportunity to sort of take a step back and look at whether uh, the authorities that exist are still needed, are they effective, what's working, what's not, what might be outdated and where reforms may be needed. The third item is factors that affect the federal work environment. And at first I thought these might be things that are not terribly deep or serious, but upon reading your testimony, this is pretty serious stuff, some of these factors. Indeed, because it really can um, have a, a really uh, significant effect on whether people consider to work for the federal government and for those who are already working for the federal government, whether they'll want to continue uh, federal employment. And so when we look at issues like sexual harassment, you know, we certainly have found that um, for a number of people, you know, facing sexual harassment on the job might be one of the key factors that uh, causes them to leave their employment with the federal government. We also saw issues around uh, conference attendance, which for science scientists and researchers is really important because that's really an opportunity that they use to be able to present their research, but also network with other people in their fields and to be able to form collaborations. And we saw uh, certainly a number of instances in our prior work where um, uh, employees cited the inability to attend conferences to further their professional development as a reason for leaving. Candace Wright, thanks very much for joining me. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you, Francis. You can find a link to her testimony at govmatters.tv slash resources. Up next, finding finance talent for the government. Straight ahead on Government Matters, where the government isn't looking and how to keep its new fines. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of the show, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. Be right back. The Department of Agriculture is looking at new options for expanded telework even after the pandemic is over. 
Remote work could help the government expand the talent pool for the finance workforce. Mallory Bark-Bullman is Research Director of Finance Process Excellence at Gartner. Mallory, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. I'm reading report after report after report in the private sector of companies talking about moving the jobs to the people instead of moving the people to the jobs. Is that what we're talking about here? Is that something that the government is or should be looking at? That's exactly right, Francis, and thank you for having me. The, the government is gonna follow the same patterns and that we're seeing elsewhere. You know, HR leaders are estimating that as many as 50% of workers will work remotely following the pandemic. That's up from about 30%. So there really is an opportunity here to think about different talent pools and ways to access different individuals. If we think about moving the jobs to the people then, how do we go about identifying where the people are, especially in financial management, to determine how we move those jobs and where we move those jobs? That's a great question. And, and that's something we undertook at Gartner last year. What we really started to do is look at job postings on USA Jobs where they were looking for finance talent. We distilled the top competencies, top among them were analytical thinking, accounting operations, and managing compliance with procedures, laws, rules, and regulations. We then used our data to really find where that talent is. And we found some of the areas won't surprise you. It's, you know, New York City, Washington, DC. But there are other areas where government is not currently recruiting, but the talent is there. Areas like Dallas, Boston, Los Angeles. These are areas that have that talent and it's more untapped than in some of the other areas. We're starting to see, especially Wall Street companies, moving or thinking about moving the physical locations of their headquarters to where the jobs are. Is that something that we could ever expect to see in the federal government? Or is this a, a remote work phenomenon, maybe overstating it, but is this a, a remote work function uh, entirely, do you think? I think it can be a both end solution. You know, as you know, a large percent of the federal government already is outside the Washington DC area. I think there's an opportunity really to think critically about which jobs can be remote, which jobs can be outside of a headquarters function and really leverage the opportunity of technology of remote work to expand the talent pool. Is it necessary for these remote work jobs to be attached to some federal installations somewhere. For example, um, uh, an office here in Washington determines that the best hire for the job is in San Antonio. Is it necessary for that person to be attached somehow to some installation in San Antonio? Or are we starting to think about these jobs as maybe being entirely remote and that person comes to Washington very periodically just for face-to-face -face meetings that are necessary and things like that. Are, are we to that point of rethinking the way that these jobs look? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Francis. And you know, as you know, GAO recently came out with a risk list and strategic human capital management was one of those areas that not only has shown up on the list for a number of years, but also has decreased or declined in recent years in terms of the quality. I think there's a real opportunity with new leadership in OPM to really think about strategic human capital management. Think about the work we need people to do and what can best set them up for success. And instead of thinking of telework as a barrier to success, I think there's an opportunity here. It's an opportunity to get the talent we need. It's an opportunity to think about how to manage them better for success and really to set up uh, meaningful outcomes in people's work so that they're able to be successful regardless of where they are.
I use these private sector references to probably ad nauseum, Mallory, because there are so many of them that we're seeing now. And another factor that, that private sector companies are thinking about is if we put these jobs or if we base these jobs someplace outside of one of the major metropolitan areas, we might not have to have to pay people as much. In that example that I just used, the pay differential for San Antonio is quite a bit lower for an agency than it is in Washington, D.C. or New York or Los Angeles, et cetera. Is that a factor or should it be a factor in the way that an agency thinks about its human capital strategy? So that's going to be a really challenging policy issue um, that really needs to fall, I would think, at the OPM level of really thinking about um, the cost of living, the cost of labor, and what that costs and how they want to strategically think about their work. In the work that you and your team did in looking at this issue, the research that you've done, what were the benefits that you found in broadening the scope, the, the possible pool of candidates? Is it just better at those three things that you said are the, the greatest need in the financial management community, or is there some other benefit that you determined? So we didn't look at the, the success of individuals in these roles, but what we did look at is, is where you can find them. We know that finance talent is really hard to get, and, and federal agencies are, are actively recruiting for these skills. I think there's an opportunity for the federal government to be an employer of choice, to really in, lean into the idea of a flexible workspace, and frankly, to, to recruit from populations that may not be uh, groups they readily think of. You know, I identified those three areas where the talent is there right now. We also identified four additional areas that have emerging talent in these areas, Phoenix, Minneapolis, San Antonio, Miami. These are places where federal agencies can look for talent they can make sure they're getting the diverse, well-qualified body of talent that they need. Mallory, thanks very much for joining me. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you very much. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website, govmatters.tv. Get a preview of every show when you sign up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 1030 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.